Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. Let me, let me just say something to you because you all, I, I, I pastor sharp people. You're smart, you're sharp. If you were here last Sunday and heard my message, the, the chances are good that you're going to say, you know, that sounds so familiar. Well, you'll, you would be right because this text that the Lord led me to this week has a theme that is very, very similar to the theme of the message I preached last week. Last week, if you weren't here, I preached saved and sanctified. And I preached on sanctification. I was talking to my father-in-law and I told him about my sermon and he looked at me, he's 83 years old, and he said, boy, you don't hear those messages much anymore. And that's sad, isn't it? Because sanctification is a major, not just a part, a major part, a major dynamic of living for Jesus. I mean, once you get saved, you got to live right. That's being sanctified. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in that vein again this morning, and maybe, maybe it's because the Lord knows we need this. So Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous, fired up for good works. Now, boy, that's just, that's, that's, that's the Christian life in a nutshell right there, isn't it? Before you're seated, turn around about two or three, four people and just say, hello. And you can be seated. Maybe, maybe you didn't get a chance to say hello to anybody this morning. So, All right, so let me share a fundamental truth that we extrapolate from this text concerning salvation, being saved, being born again, living for Jesus, being a Christian. Here's a fundamental truth. You are saved by grace. It is only by the grace of God that you get right with God. You cannot save yourself, and God doesn't need your help in saving you. He doesn't need you to do something, perform a good work, sacrifice a cow. He doesn't need your help. He can do it all by himself. You are saved depending solely on his unearned, unmerited, undeserved grace. Salvation is a gift. It's not what you do for God. It's what God does for you. It's what God does in you. How many of you are glad God did something for you and in you? I am. I'm glad that he saved me. Ephesians 2.8 says it plainly, for by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, 
lest anyone should boast. So the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me has it right. But here's something else that this verse tells us that I want to talk about for a few minutes. Not only is is there the fundamental truth that we are saved by grace, but this amazing saving grace is available for everybody. It's not hidden. It's not tucked away. It's not a mystery that you have to join a religious organization to try to figure it out. No, it's out in the open. It's called the good news, and it's for all the world. When I was a kid growing up, and we used to sing a lot of hymns in church, there was one that we used to sing that said, We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And that's the joyful sound Jesus saves. Every generation from the beginning of time has had access to the saving grace of God. When Adam and Eve saw the skins of the animals sacrificed by God to cover not only their nakedness after they had sinned, but to cover their sins. The animals that were sacrificed were never told, but I, I, if I were a betting man, I'd slap a $100 bill down that they were lambs. I guarantee you they were lambs. And he sacrificed lambs that were the types or the symbols of the Lamb of God, Jesus, who would eventually die for us. He sacrificed those animals, and when they saw those skins, not only to cover their nakedness, but to atone for, that's what the word atone means, to cover for their sins. Listen to me. They saw God's grace. When Enoch walked with God every day in righteousness, he saw God's grace. When Noah walked every day with God, he saw God's grace. When Abraham and Isaac and Jacob held to the promises of God for their salvation, for not only them but their posterity, they were viewing God's grace. When Moses, who got the law of God, the law of Moses, everybody got tore out of their frame and said, you got to keep the law to get saved. And Moses, if he was living, would have said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. I know God gave me the law and you, you call it the law of Moses, but look, you've got it all wrong. The law can't save you. All the law does is show you that you're a sinner. It tells you what's right, and then when you look at it, you see what's wrong with you. But what it does, it's a school teacher, it's a tutor, it's a sign that points you to the one who can do something about your sins. The law leads you to the lawgiver who is the Savior, who is the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And when Moses gave the law, the law was supposed to show you the grace of God. Everybody from Adam to, the, to Calvary looked forward to the cross. Those who were saved in the Old Testament were not ever saved by works. They were saved by grace through faith. They were looking forward to the one who was to come. Since Calvary, all of us in the 21st century back, we look backward to the cross, leaning on God's grace. Every generation has been saved by grace through faith. Now, there are those in the Reformed movement So I'm calling out a movement, rarely do that, but I'm doing it today because the reform movement has made quite a surge 
and religion and Christianity in America. And it's crept into churches that are not part of the reform movement and they're having an influence. But there are those in the reform movement who don't believe that God's saving grace is for everyone. They believe that some people are exempt from God's grace. They, they firmly believe that atonement is limited in its application. They firmly believe that some people are actually destined for hell with no choice and no chance to be saved. Now, let me just be clear today, high praises. I don't believe that, and as a church, we don't believe that. Well, that's not our doctrine. I believe John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It didn't say the elect. It said, for God so loved the world, full of sinners, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, not just some chosen group, I'm preaching right now, but you don't have to help me, but whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's for everybody. I believe Second or First Timothy 2, 4, God desires all men to be saved. Not just some men and women, but all men. That's inclusive to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I believe Acts 17, 30. I love this. Now God commands, not suggests, God commands all men everywhere. Everywhere, everybody everywhere to repent of their sins. I'm telling you, you can be saved. If you're a sinner and you're, you're here today in this, in this service or you're watching me online, listen closely to me. God can save you. You are not exempt from salvation. God can save you. I don't care what you've done. God can reach you. I don't care how deep you are in your life of sin. God can reach down. We have, there's an old song that says, when the Savior reached down for me. And he said, but wait a minute. He had to reach way down for me. I was lost and undone without God or his son, but he reached down his hands for me. You may say, Pastor, I'm too far gone. You don't know how bad my life has been. I came here this morning to tell you that the Bible says, yep, you're bad. Yes, you've done a lot of bad things. Yes, you may seem hopeless like a hopeless case to a lot of people, but the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And there's always more grace than your sin. So God can save you and make you right with him. Hallelujah. So there is a grace that saves us. It is grace alone that saves us. Hallelujah. I feel good right now. Anybody feel good in the house? Feel the presence of the Lord. But now Paul transitions or segues into another dimension of this grace. And he says, not only does this grace save us, but this grace helps us to live right. And this is where what I preached last Sunday overlaps with what I'm preaching today. As a matter of fact, Paul says there are two lessons that grace will teach us. One is, has a negative connotation. The other one has a positive connotation. So here's lesson number one. By God's grace, you can deny ungodliness. And you can deny worldly lust. So let's talk about those. Number one, you can say no to ungodliness. Now, godliness 
we say these words, and sometimes y'all wonder, what does that mean? Godliness essentially involves things that are like God. So when I'm godly, and I should be godly, I should be like God. There are things that I say and do and attitudes that I carry and ways that I react that should make you think of the Lord. Okay? Now, if I'm ungodly, then it means I'm involved with things that are not like God. I'm saying and doing things that do not make you think of the Lord at all. And so there are things that we can potentially say or do that violate God's holy nature, that fail to reflect his holy character. And so we don't want to do that. As children of God who have been saved, you know, we're all made in the image of God, but sin shatters the image of God in us. When you get saved, like putting the pieces of the mirror back together, God restores the image of God in us. So now we should reflect who we are, transformed, changed people of God. And I was reading Romans 1.18, and it says that you are tempted to be ungodly when you suppress the truth. When you suppress the truth. Y'all ever had your trash can full, but you needed to put more in it, and so you... You are suppressing the trash. But you can suppress the... It's rising up to tell you how you should behave, what you should say, how, how you shouldn't do things, but you push it down. God has made himself known. God has made his word known. God has made his will known. So brothers and sisters, just a warning. When you suppress his revelation, when you choose to believe and act on what you know is not true concerning God, you will behave ungodly. And that's what we want to avoid because if you are ungodly, then you will hate instead of love. And you will be mean instead of kind. And you will hurt instead of help. And you will be bad instead of good. But here's what I know. And I love this. You can live a godly life. You can say no to ungodliness, and you can say yes to doing things that reflect God. Listen to 2 Peter 1.3. It tells us that God's, and here's the quote, God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And this smacks of what I preached last week, so I'm preaching it again. The presence and the power of the Spirit of God living inside of you is all you need to get up in the morning and live right all day long and go to bed that night and go to bed with a clear conscience saying, today I lived for Jesus. Because if he's not enough, we're all in trouble. But I can be like God because I have God and the power of God and the presence of God 
inside. Sanctification is a pretty cool thing, isn't it? And then lesson, still lesson one, you can say no to ungodliness. You can say no to worldly lusts. Now, I can't remember. Do I have 1 John 2, 15? Did I, did I put that on the screen? No. Okay. So just listen. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 warns us against worldly lusts, worldly desires. Okay. Do not love the world. Or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world. You know listen. He's writing this to believers right. He's writing to the church. If anyone loves the world. The love of the father is not in him. Wow. For all that is in the world. Watch this. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, the lust, see, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. It's slowly dying. The world thinks they're having a party and living it up, but they're dying. A slow death. The world is passing away, and the lust, the desire of the world is passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So last week I spoke about the lust of the flesh. But I want to tell you today, the world will not only tempt you with that, it will tempt you with the lust of the eyes. Now what is that, pastor? What is that, okay? That's when the things of this world will look so good to you that you will compromise your faith in God to get them. Eve, the Bible says in Genesis 3, when Eve saw the fruit, that it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good. It was wrong. But it looked good. And that's what we have to fight. When things look good, attract, they're attracted to us. But, but they're forbidden. And the world will also tempt you with the pride of life. Now what's the pride of life, Pastor? That's where you live for the approval of others. You want to be recognized. You want to be seen. You want to be noticed. You want more likes on your Facebook page. You are so committed to being accepted by others that you will sin just to gain the world's approval. A Christian wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, they would. It's a temptation. And so we have to say no to those desires. No. I pastored a wonderful couple a long, 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 long time ago who loved the Lord and served the Lord. I know. I ate at their house, went to the lake with them. I knew these people very well. But one day, they started hanging around more with worldly people. And because they were hanging around with worldly people, they started getting involved in 
worldly things. And I was worried and I was watching it. There wasn't much I could say or do. And they started crossing lines. And they started getting involved with things and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. This was the cool crowd in Anderson. This was the, the, the ones that were supposed to be the next generation, you know, the, the hip crowd. This, these were the, you, wanted to be, you wanted to be able to throw these people's names around as your friends. And they backslid. And they were doing things they should not be doing. And they were going places they should not be going. And I knew it and there wasn't a thing I could do. This went on for some time. And then finally the husband got under conviction. And God drew him back. And he came back to the Lord. He told his wife, you need to get back to the Lord. We need to get back in church. But like Lot's wife, she couldn't stop turning around and looking back at it. And she finally told him, I don't want to. And she stayed in sin and destroyed their marriage. And he came back to the Lord. And she went off into a life of sin. And if you would have asked her for years, you would, she would have told you that she was having a big time. But I, I kept up with her. And she was one failed relationship after another failed relationship living in the misery of sin, trying to convince herself that she was having a big time in the world when she wasn't. And fortunately, before she left this world, she got her heart right with God. Brothers and sisters, now this is the kind of preaching that will make you just sit there and listen. Say no to ungodliness and worldly Lust. Now there's another lesson that's positive. Lesson two is, by that same grace, you can live soberly, righteously, and godly. I want to do some preaching right here. Now soberly doesn't have a thing to do with alcohol. That's not what that means. The Greek word for soberly means to act in a morally responsible manner. To be in self-control. Literally, if you look up the word, it means to be in your right mind. Have you all noticed how so many people today in America have lost their minds? Right is wrong. And wrong is right. Up is down. And down is up. It's all twisted and it makes no sense. Marriage is no longer a union between a man and a woman. It can be between two men or two women. Gender is no longer biologically based. Now it is identity based. I guess some men have heard Shania one too many times. Man, I feel like a woman. So they decide they want to be a woman. We're laughing. But it's sad. It's sad. It's the deception of the devil. And so they go down a path of, that's warped and perverted. And a baby in a womb is not a baby. I always thought it was a baby. Oh, look, she's pregnant. She's going to have a 
a baby. But oh no, not in this world. It's just a complex of cellular elements that is expendable in the name of inconvenience. We've lost our minds. And this is what I, I put this in my notes. I said this to somebody this week. Have you noticed how common sense is the collateral damage of corruption in America? And, and, and I read a book one time, and I just cannot remember the phraseology, but there's a phraseology. Some of this may be, it's probably similar. I think this is Orwellian from 1984. Groupthink. You have people who know. That's, that's not a woman. You're, you're a man. You can call yourself a woman, but you're a man. I know what a man is. You put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You're a man, but you get enough people under enough pressure and you tell it long enough and hard enough and you make them feel like they're stupid if they don't embrace this junk. And good people in America with common sense will throw the common sense out in the window and say, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, man, if you feel like a woman, I Yes, you are. Don't look like a woman, but if that's what you are, okay. Brothers and sisters, God help our nation. But God help the church that we don't lose our common sense and that we don't lose our sobriety. That we stay in our right mind and say, I don't care what you call it, you a man. And I don't care what y'all got over there, it's some kind of something. But the only kind of marriage the Bible talks about is between one man and one woman. And you can try to justify it all you want, and I'm thankful the Supreme Court did what they did, but I'm still going to say a baby in the womb is a baby. Because the prophet said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. Save people, that's us. We don't act like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't reason like the world. We don't embrace their perverted, warped, Ideologies and philosophies don't fall for their pablum. And don't you allow your children either to be indoctrinated by the worldly contaminants. Protect your kids. Come on, somebody. Protect your children. And don't let them figure it out for themselves. They're too young to figure it out for themselves. They think unicorns are real. They're still taking that $5 bill from the tooth fairy under their pillow because inflation has moved it to $5. You don't let a six-year... My God, I feel...
feel the Holy Ghost. I feel like I'm fighting the demons of hell right now. You don't let a six-year-old figure out what their gender is. You tell them you're a beautiful little girl. You're a handsome little boy, and I'm going to raise you to be a boy. I'm going to show you how to be a girl, and you're going to grow up to be a godly woman, and you're going to grow up to be a man of God. If I could shout right now, I'd shout. The Bible says we have the mind of who? Christ. You've been made new by the renewing of your mind. So don't think like the world. You know better. They might be smarter. They might have a TV show. They might have a podcast. They might stand on a stage and sing. But you know better than them. They might have more money than you. But you know better. They might have PhD, THD, DMD, ABCD, EFG behind their name. But you can be an educated idiot. You know the word of the living God. You know better. Stand in what you know. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Pastor, how can you preach like that? Because I'm not living in fear of this stinking world. But God has given us power, love, and a sound mind. I know what I've got from God. You can live soberly. You can live righteously. You know what that means? Live right. That was hard, wasn't it? Obey God's divine law. Keep the commands of God. If you're saved, you have an obligation. I hope you hear me right now. You have an obligation to find out what God demands of you and then to do those things. It's your job to discover his commandments. How do I do that, Pastor? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Listen to we preachers. Listen to us. Listen to us as we preach. Take notes. Pay attention. We're not going to tell you anything other than the word of the living God. Pay attention to those who are discipling you. I remember when uh, Paul Scanlon gave his testimony. He pastored a big Pentecostal church in England. Imagine that, like a mega church. And he gave his testimony. He said when he got saved, a woman in the church took him under her wing because he said, I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know anything about church. He said, what do I do? She said, come to church every time the doors are open. One, two, read your Bible every day. Three, pray every day. And this was the best one. Four, do everything we tell you to do. And Paul Scanlon, now a pastor, said, you know, that's pretty good advice. Just do what the people of God tell you to do and you'll be all right. Learn the Ten Commandments. Because that's the moral law of God for every generation. You know that, right? They can take it out of the government buildings and they can remove it from the schools, but they're not going to remove it from the universe. That is the moral law of God. Murder is always wrong, always will be wrong. Lying is wrong, it'll always be wrong. Taking God's name in vain is wrong, it'll always be wrong. Honoring your father and mother is right, and it'll always be right. 
So what does the Bible say about dating? Find out if you're dating. By the way, it says don't date unbelievers. There's no such thing as evangelism dating. Because whatever they are now, that's what they're going to be when you put a ring on their finger. What does the Bible say about marriage? Go read it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means there's a tremendous sacrifice on the part of husbands. We give a lot of times more than we get, but that's all right. It's what God called us to do. And, and wives, submit to your husbands. And in this day of feminism, I'm not submitting to my husband. Well, if you've got a good man who's doing everything he can to take care of you, that's pretty easy to submit to. There's nothing there about abuse. That's not what that's about. The same way you submit to Jesus. That's what you do. You submit to a good husband who loves you, a godly man who does everything he can to take care of you. you it's easy to submit to that. What does the Bible say about raising children? Find out. Read it. Then do it. Spank them. Spank them. Now, if you can use other methods, every child's different, fine. Evan got five spankings, I think, his whole life. He'd start to do wrong, and I'd go, one, two. He would... Karen's just waiting for the hammer to fall because I've told this for you. I'm not going to do it. Give him a pass today. Every child is different. But a lot of them, not some of them, a lot of them, they need a good spanking. Well, that's just your opinion. The Bible says folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness. But the rod of correction will drive it far from them. Now, that's in the Bible. Honey, I love you, but this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. That's biblical, baby. Bend over. I deserved every spanking I got except one. My sister did something, and Mom and Dad thought I did it, and I got whooped, and I'm still bitter about it at 57. true mom <laughs> what does the Bible say is this alright what y'all come here for is this alright what does the Bible say about handling money find out give God the tithe save money invest money don't get in debt I can give you four right there it's in the Bible number five don't sign a note Co-sign with somebody and get yourself financially obligated. Don't do it. You know that's in the Bible more than once. Somebody tries to talk you into co-signing a note. And then they bail out. Guess who's stuck with it? You are. Can I preach? Can I be plain? Don't be that dumb. Just look at him and say, No. Sorry. 
What does the Bible say about running a business? This says a lot. One of them is don't go into business with somebody that's not trustworthy. Somebody that, you can be careful people who aren't saved. I don't have time to do all this. What does the Bible say about dealing with an adversary? I know what you want to do. You want to punch him in the mouth. I'm holier than that. Yeah, well, deep down you want to do it. Don't act so holy. But you can't. That's wrong. You got to do crazy stuff like bless them, pray for them, buy them a meal. And somehow that pours hot coals of fire on top of their head. I'm not being facetious. That's what God said to do, and it works. It works. You can have an enemy or you can win a friend. You can live soberly, you can live righteously, and you can live godly. To live godly, I've already talked about this, is to, but let me just, let me just expand. It's to practice right conduct toward God. Listen, based on deep reverence and respect for God. And I think love is a part of this too. You love God and you loyally and joyfully obey Him. You know, y'all know we've lost the fear of God in our society. We've lost the fear of God. We don't respect God like we should. People use God's name in vain all the time. People don't care about the consequences of their actions. They, they act like there's no God that they're going to have to give an account to one day. And I'm going to say this because I want to help some of you. One of the worst things we do in our society, and it's in the church, is simply as a filler, something will happen, and we'll go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look, there's a Something on Instagram, a video of a cat doing backflips off a couch. Oh, my God. Y'all got quiet because some of you were the oh, my God crowd. It's a filler. Listen, I'm just preaching today. Get mad at me if you want, but that's using the Lord's name vainly. You're not praying. You're not worshiping. You're not witnessing. You're just using. I, I've taught, I preach. Some of you haven't been here long enough. I tried to help people with people once. I said, use me. Oh, my Chris. Oh, my Chris. You have permission to use my name. Use it in vain. I don't care. I preached that one time, and for a week, people were going around going, oh, my Chris. Some of you remember that sermon, don't you? Godly people are aware of God in every aspect of life. No compartmentalization. God is in control of every area of your life. I'm about to, I'm about to close. Let me give you two powerful dynamics of a godly testimony. And if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. One, authenticity. Think about somebody you know that's godly. They're real, aren't they? They're the real deal. No duplicity. They're just real. And number two, consistency. Consistency. 
what they are at home is what they are at work. And what they are at church is what they'll be when they go to a restaurant. And when they're on vacation, they're no different than when they're here in Anderson. They're just consistently the same godly person. Strive by the power of God's grace to be real and to be consistent. Is this helping anybody? It's good, good stuff, isn't it? I'm closing with this. If you can play softly, Pastor Billy. I'm, I'm about to finish up really fast. God's grace will save you. God's grace will help you to live right, talk right. And God's grace will get you to heaven. How many times have we sung amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. And when we sang that last line, tis grace that hath brought me safe thus far. Do you all know the rest of it? Say it with me. And grace will lead me home. How many of you are looking for Jesus Christ to return? You looking for him? He's coming back, isn't he? You read the news and see what's happening. Things that 40 and 50 years ago, we could not figure out how they were even remotely possible. Now the technology is there. That things that are in Revelation could happen today. Grace will give you the quality of expectation. And I don't want to get up any day and not think about the Lord's coming. I want to live my life, do what I'm doing, because that's what the Lord told me to do. Eat, drink, enjoy the fruit of your labor. Fear God, keep his commandments. But I want to get up every day and say, but today could be the day. And I want to be ready when he comes. How about you? Stand with me all over this house. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.